assignment for this Sunday um, has been really, really an amazing journey for me, um, a process of my faith, a process of me um, coming to terms with some of my questions about Christianity and my questions about Jesus and faith and in light of many other um, religious systems and ideas. Um, the text, we have two. I told it to the kids earlier. You can put up the first one, try to do our slides here. Um, one way, that Acts 4.12 text is the disciples' response. So Jesus has, by the time Acts rolls around, Gospels, uh, the life of Jesus has been played out on earth. His teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension has all taken place. And now the church has been established and it's moving. So Acts 4, the, the church is really beginning. You see how they care for one another, how they um, give and serve and forgive and reconcile and, and the Lord adding to their number daily those who are being saved. And at Acts 4.12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, that is Jesus, his name. You call on the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given to men and women and children by which we might be saved. So that's a big statement, right? Salvation is found in only Jesus. Salvation being heaven, paradise, the, the imagery and the reality that Revelation gives us, that there's no more tears, no more pain, no more cancer, no more brokenness. That's the picture of, of what Acts 4 is 12 is telling us. That salvation, you want that, Jesus is the way. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus is answering those who were debating with him, he says, Jesus answered them and he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that language also might be a little bit confusing for us, like going to the Father. I mean, some of us have father issues. Why would I want to go to the Father? What is, what is up with that? But to the Jewish people, Father is God. God was Father. Love, reconciliation, the imagery of the prodigal son comes to mind here, Right? where the Father is, is welcoming, he's, he's, he's drawing in, he is loving the prodigals. He's loving those who have squandered, and, and that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Access to that, which we all want, is only through Jesus, which stirs up a bunch of questions, right? Right? I mean, we, you have to, at that point... On two different levels. Number one, the world is looking at you. And, and by the way, as a, as a preface, just because we're all sitting here in this church doesn't necessarily mean that, we that all of us believe that. Some of us might be engaging in some sort of theistic universalism, uh, which means that you know, all roads lead to the same place, right? You've heard that, that. How can all those Muslims be wrong? How can the Buddhists be wrong? How can... Eastern mysticism be wrong? How can the Jehovah Witnesses be wrong, right? And we're, we're hearing in the gospel Jesus make a big statement. So I'm going to make some statements today, but I think the beauty of this message is going to be what happens afterwards. The beauty of this is that you are going to unpack this with your families and your friends. You're going to go out for coffee, or you're going to go to the pub, or you're going to go wherever, or you're going to barbecue, and you're going to meet at Mike's pool and you're going to, you know, you're going to do that and you're going to have God talks because I don't think a 20 minute or 30 minute sermon just answers all of this for us. 
we have to kind of unpack this as a community and with our friends and with our family, okay? So that's one piece of this. All of the questions that come to mind by saying Jesus is the only way. What comes out of that is all of what happens to everybody else. Like, really? Really? What happens to my, all my friends? What happened? Whoa. Jesus is, then the second part, to many people who are confessing that, you, Jesus, Christianity, the Bible, is selective and narrow-minded. Have you ever heard that? That Christianity is narrow-minded. Have you heard that? Okay. Yeah. So we deal with that. That's, that's the conflict, the tension between statements like that that we hear from Jesus, which should spur us on then to those conversations, but asking questions for ourselves and then seeking to find them. So two weeks ago, I brought in a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Did anybody get it yet? Awesome, awesome. Okay, the rest of you get it. It's really amazing because it talks about, like not only Islam and Christianity and, and, and unpacking those things, but it speaks about methodological thinking, which means that, and this is how most of us operate, I already have a belief system. I have an idea, right? I'm Christian. I've been raised at Trinity Hudson. You've grown up in this. This is where you're at. I believe this. And then what happens is we seek validation for that in different ways, through scripture, through the church, through our own experiences, whatever, we validate that belief and we find evidence for it because that's where we're already at. If we think in methodological thinking, then what we, we, we're systematic about arriving at a conclusion. So I have to ask questions that say, why is, why is Christianity the best possible answer to all of our cosmic universe questions? Does it answer the questions better than Islam? Does it answer the questions better than Buddhism? Does it answer the questions better than Eastern mysticism? Okay? Does it answer the questions better than atheism? Because I, I believe even atheism um, is in itself a religious system. It is, it's a faith. Okay? Um, it's, a, it's a belief that, that this is what I'm adhering to because I don't believe that there's a God. So this is the answers to my questions. All right? So... What I'd like to do, I'm going to show you three of the, the main questions that all of us have to deal with, and then kind of how I have arrived at certain things that help me better embrace Christianity and why I believe it to be intellectually true. I, I believe it by faith, okay, right? We're all there. But God never calls us to be foolish. He doesn't say when you come to church, check your brain at the door and be an idiot. Right? He calls you to think. You read, the, you read the letters of Paul, and he is, and this is interesting language, he reasoned with them. He, he used his intellect. He was a Jewish intellectual prior to becoming a follower of Jesus. He didn't go, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to think at all. I'm going to be a dummy. No. Okay? Takes it on faith, acts in faith, but unpacks it intellectually as well. So we get to use our brains. We get to ask questions and say, does this answer the questions of the universe better than Buddhism, Islam, Eastern mysticism, whatever, whatever religious system that there is? So shoot the next one up there. All religions ask these three questions. 
And you can, you can phrase these in different ways. This is kind of how I unpacked this a little bit. How did we get here? So, so we look at that, and different religious systems answer that question. Is it theistic evolution? Do we believe that God just started the ball rolling and went, okay, let it go? Was it, was it literally a six-day creation, seven-day rest? Is that how, how we think this thing played out? Was it just the Big Bang? Is evolution true? And then from those questions, whatever we arrive at from that, we get to answer that second piece of that. Is there a purpose for life then? And if we're just cosmic soup that have just kind of morphed into flesh and blood and bone and hair, then there's really no purpose to life, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Live and live. Let's just, whatever. It doesn't matter. So really, is that what... Is that really true? Is there no purpose to life? So you start asking those questions. Now, that was a bit of a tease because I'm not going to answer number one, okay? Because we don't have that kind of time, all right? And I believe that's actually a conference. I think you should read books and unpack that. But I will say this. I believe that theism, not necessarily, I, I believe this wholeheartedly, but theism answers my science questions better in theory, okay, let's all, let's all, okay, the other day, sorry, squirrel, I'm at Target, and I'm looking for stuff, okay, shopping, doesn't matter what, but there's these two kids on the floor, right, and the mom's looking at at stuff, and she's looking at what she wants to buy, and I'm there, and, there and, and she's got one of these things that I don't know what that is, okay? It's like a screen, but it's like interactive education thing, whatever. And the voice comes out of it goes, hey, let's talk about evolution, okay? And I'm like, huh, interesting. That's kind of wild, okay? So it's everywhere. Like kids on the floor are, are talking about evolution. Why can't we talk about God on the floor at Target? Why can't we have, hey, let's talk about how, if that's what you believe, okay? So unpack this stuff being my point because it's happening everywhere all the time. So theism answers my questions on science better than evolution answers my science questions. Did you track that? Maybe that was a poorly constructed sentence. But that, that makes sense to me from a science perspective Intelligent design answers my science questions better, all right? And again, just a theory. But evolution is being propagated as fact and not theory, and that's bad science, okay? Because it's a theory. And intelligent design, creationism, is a theory. Excuse me, all right? They're theories. We, we, we can't scientifically go back and prove those things. I've spent too much time on that. So you deal with that at the home dinner table tonight. How do we get here? Is there a purpose to life? That's a big question. We should be talking about that with our families, with our friends, and not just talking about the Packers or the Vikings. Number two, what went wrong? This is where I want to start. What is evidence of, of, of human sin? Like, why, why, why are we broken? What happened to us? And is it everybody or is it just those people? Is it just terrorists that are evil? Or am I evil? Is my daughter evil? Is my wife evil? And we don't like that language, do we? Like I would, to soften that a little bit in church talk, I would use the term broken. 
We're all broken, which is true. But can we take a step and go, wow, we were, we're, we're evil. And what does that mean? What is evil? By definition, and we'll get there in a second. Don't shoot that up there. But evil is everything, biblically thinking, everything that is not good or beneficial to myself, my family, the culture, humanity around me. So any self-centered thought, any, anything of manipulation or malice that I do could be, by definition, called evil, brokenness, depravity, malicious behavior, texting and driving, speeding, whatever it is. It's all there. And I look at the human condition and I go, wow, we are messed up. We're a broken people. There's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of good. I'm not this kind of downcast person. I'm full of joy and happiness. And there's a purpose and reason to that. We'll get there in a second. But the reality is, is I look at myself and I look at my family and I look at, God bless you, my students, and I look at their families and we're broken. There, there is something that is wrong and distorted and evil within us. And it must be dealt with. So go to the, I don't think that this is, go to the next slide. Yes, thank you. What went wrong? So I'm at this restaurant this week, and there's a guy standing in line, and, and he's, this is like, like I, I'm okay with tattoos, I like tattoos. This guy had this tattooed on his arm, and I'm going, bad choice. That seems like a, a bad decision. This is, I don't know if you read Harry Potter. Anybody read Harry Potter? Anybody want to confess that? Okay, anyway. So there's no good and evil, only power in those too weak to seek it. Lord Voldemort is, now I've not read Harry Potter, so I'm just going to be up front, but my friends have, and they told me that this guy, this character, and this is spoken to Harry Potter, okay, um, this guy is kind of the equivalent, if I can say this, you can, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of the, the, the equivalent of Satan. He's the bad guy. He's the deceiver. He's the, the misdirector, all of that sort of thing, okay? This guy's got this tattooed on his arm, and I'm, you know, I think if you've got stuff on your face or through your tongue or pierced your cheek or you got stuff, I get, to, I get to talk about it. Like if I'm at Target and I'm doing my groceries and you got a post through your tongue, I'm going to go, wow, did that hurt? Why did you do that? So that's a, that's a freebie for me. I did not, however, engage this guy because I was almost upside down trying to read his arm and then it was very awkward. And, but I find out, this, this statement which unsettles me, I find out is from this deceiver. But this to me is postmodernism. This is the idea that we are not good or evil. We have a clean slate. Every idea that I've been taught, that, that preconceived idea, all right, I'm trying to think methodologically now down to that point. My idea was that sin is from birth, that we were born sinful. I was taught that since I was like the kid's age. But I go, is that true? And then I look at what is being spoken into our culture, that there's no good, there's no evil. Morality is subjective. It does not matter. There's not factual morality it all is dependent upon the individual or their feelings or what they want to do. So we have this kind of moral chaos going on in our world today. And I'm not a doomsday guy, okay? So don't get me wrong, please. All right? I'm not, ah. But I see this kind of, this downward spiral chaos happening. 
Where pretty soon people go, I get to do this, and I get to do this, and I can do this. As long as I'm not hurting you, I can do whatever I want. And that, to me, is evidence of the reality of a depravity or an evil in all of us. Because it's that. I get to do what I want. I'm going to seek power for myself. And if you can't, you're too weak. Right? It's manipulation. Here's another example of this, just culturally right now that I see. It just makes me sad. And, and we all do this. I'm not saying I'm better than any of you people. But we have people in the media or we have people in life that we, we put on this pedestal. We think are so great. They're just pristine. And Bill Cosby was this way for probably the majority of us growing up, right? The Cosby Show and Fat Albert and all that stuff that we grew up with. We thought, Bill Cosby, man, he's like the perfect guy. He's just, he just, just awesome. I remember when an interview with him and Eddie Murphy, when Eddie Murphy did Raw, okay? I'll confess, I saw that. It was awful. Like the language off the charts, horrible. Anybody else want to confess? Okay, wow, some of the women, excellent. So, proves your human sin. Very good, you're terrible people. Anyway, <laughs> Bill Cosby is talking with Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy is, you know, you know, blah, blah, he's got all this foul expletives and everything, and Bill Cosby's chewing him out, and he says, you don't have to, you don't have to tell a joke with all that bad language, and he's chastising him parentally as another comedian to another comedian, and everybody, like, my, my family and, and my friends were like, Bill Cosby, awesome, he's just a perfect guy, and you could come up with a thousand examples of that where we at some point, find out the truth about somebody, and we go, wow, what a, and, and the media right now, everybody is just, I, I, I look at the screens, and I, and I see him, and I just, and, and maybe this is, I don't know what this is, but I feel so bad, like I hurt for him, well, you should hurt for those women, I do, because, because that's all of us, we're scoundrels, okay, now, again, I'm not a doomsday guy, all right, but we have to start with that reality before we see our need for help, right? And so Jesus then comes on the scene. In the midst of all my questions, in the midst of the turmoil in my heart about human sin, that is not just terrorists, it's not just wife beaters, it's not just Bill Cosby, but it's all of us. I'm wrestling with this in my own fallenness, and then I read scripture, and it goes counter and confirms to me the reality of what I see in me, where the apostle Paul, in all of his letters, makes statements about us, who we are, what we've done. I think this one might be off, but go ahead, shoot the next one up. Awesome. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Have you hit any of those things in your life? Anger? Rage? Wow, isn't that awful? Like, I've lost my temper. Rage seems so awful, right? But some of you have. Like, you've gone into a fit of rage. You've been really ticked. Okay, you've exploded, some of you. Brawling. Some of us were brawlers in our younger age, okay? Slander. Here's a little education, people. Difference between slander and gossip. Slander is defaming somebody without any validity to what you're saying. Gossip is elements of truth, but you're talking about that person. Slander is actually illegal. 
Like you can, you can go to jail for slander because if you defame somebody, if you ruin their name, their good reputation, that's, that's a criminal offense. Slander. And yet, and again, I'm not trying to pick on people, but kids are, do that a lot. In the high school scene, middle school, those are tough places to be sometimes because people talk about people. That's a, that's a criminal offense, not just in the state, but in the eyes of God, according to the Apostle Paul, right? And then he adds this in Colossians 3.8, no more lying. Let no filthy language come out of your mouth. Golly, some of us, myself included, throwing myself in. I mean, I, I know people who are habitual liars, like, I just go, wow, do you, is anything that comes out of your mouth true? Right? And some of us lie, and then we ask ourselves, why did I just say that? That wasn't true. You know? I just, well, it was just a white lie. I just fudged a little bit, okay? I was only 10 miles over the speed limit. I was slowing down when I was texting, okay? Sin, it's in us. Now, here's where Jesus really does, undoes me. When Jesus teaches on human sin and the brokenness of our situation. He says, in the past you heard, and this is through the law of Moses, you heard it said that if you commit adultery with a woman, you are liable for judgment. But I say, if you even look on a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Levels the plane, right? That's every single one of us, okay? And by the way, though that was kind of male-directed, that's you ladies as well. Okay? It's not just our crimes. Women lust. Men lust. That's, that's a level plane. Yeah, I haven't had an affair, but jeepers. What have you been looking at? How long did you linger? How long did you check her out? That sort of thing. How long did you check him out? Think about that. Wow. And you look at yourself and you go, wow, I did that. I did that. God, what am I doing? Then he says, you know, well, maybe I haven't lusted for quite a long time. Okay? I've kind of got that one under control. I'm doing pretty good. Then he says this. You've heard it said in the past that if you murder somebody, you are liable to the fires of hell. But I say, if you call your brother Raka or fool or have hatred in your heart for your brother, you are liable to the fires of hell because you've committed murder in your heart. And I go, wow, wow. And, and something in me, like, I can justify my behavior. You can justify your, your behavior. But something in me just gets unsettled in all of that. Because I know it's true even prior to me reading that from Jesus. I look at my life. I look at my thoughts. If we assess enough, we go, wow, I am in significant depravity. I, I, I got to do something. And if God, again, we haven't arrived at Christianity, but if God exists, if there is a holy one and heaven is perfect, regardless of how you get there, your theology says heaven is perfect because it's heaven, it's paradise, it's nirvana, whatever it is. How do you get there? Because I'm looking at me going, wow. I'm looking at you going, wow. You're messed up. We're messed up. We're broken. It's not just them, it's collectively us. What do we do? So I look at, go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. I'll skip that one. I look at this. And this answers questions for me significantly. Before I got here, I read, and, and this is later on, but I read the Quran. 
Um, I have, I've had Muslim students. I've read Eastern mysticism. I've read Buddhism. Um, I've read uh, the Book of Mormon, um, Pearl of Great Price. I've read that. I've read Taoism. Um, there was a point where, where they were trying to even teach Taoism uh, to children, and it was all, you could get these at Barnes & Noble, like the Tao according to Pooh and the Tao according to Piglet, and, and you could get all of these books, you know, with Pooh and Piglet and Rue and everybody else from Winnie the Pooh. So I got those. I, I even read that. And I'm, and I'm trying to answer the questions of my heart in, in the midst of the conundrum of what's going on in me. And all of those systems, regardless of what they are, all of those systems answered it the same. And in a nutshell, it was this. You're on your own. You better figure this out. My, my, my Islamic friends answer it like this. They'll say your, your bad deeds cannot outweigh your good deeds. All right? It's a scale. Your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds so that you appease God. All right? And I'm going, wow, wow. Like, who's keeping that tally? Who's keeping... I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a full-time job, isn't it? Who's got time to think about all of the things that I have done in an hour that have been selfish or malicious or just a strange, obscure, demented thought that jumps into my head. Wow, who's got time for that? How could I possibly have hope? I would live my whole life in paranoia. Will I go? Will I not go? Will I be saved? Will I not be saved? What's going to happen to me when it's all said and done? And, and my Muslim friends would say, you don't know. God does not love his creation. Allah does not love his creation. That's in the Quran. All right? Here's another statement that's in the Quran that's really interesting to me that is so counter to, to what this is saying. Children at a very young age in, in Islam are taught God is not a father and he has no son. And they pray that. That's part of their ritual prayers. Very interesting to me. That's not a judgment statement. That's a fact. That's in their, that's in their prayers. And so I, I have to unpack that. Okay, God is not a father. God does not have a son. God does not love his creation. Wow, I am seriously in trouble. This is not going to help me. I have no hope. The rest of the systems, I have no hope. I have no hope. And all of them, imagery-wise, is humanity reaching up to God, trying to grab on and attain heaven. That's all of these other religious systems, okay? Christianity comes along, and Christianity says, but God, you are this, I am this. We just kind of figured that out. I know it was quick, all right? This is bigger than a sermon. But I see my situation. I see the human condition and the depravity and the need. And I don't think intellectually that there is any hope for humanity if it's up to us. It seems like things are getting crazy, all right? It seems that way to me, that it's unfolding a bit. So where's my hope? I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 2. This is just a piece of this, 1 through 11. And I want you to hear this intellectually, okay? Don't hear this like as some... I'm trying not to say anything against Scripture. I'm obviously not. 
But, but think intellectually through this just for a minute. And you were dead in your trespasses, me too, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's that Lord Voldemort. To me, the, the, the power path, the, the disobedience path, the rebellion path, I see it, in, I see it when, when we were very young. You once walked in these ways. Yeah, okay, I get that. I, I see that. Among whom we all once lived, level plane, in the passions of our flesh, right? If I, if I don't curb that in, things are going to get out of control. My addictions, my lust, my greed gets out of control. If I, don't, if I don't pull that back sometime, but God, if God exists, is holy and he demands perfection, holiness, because heaven is holy, heaven is perfect, and if I'm there, I'm not that, so I'll mess it up. If I get there, oh, my conundrum. I walked in the passion, we walked in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. This again, postmodernism, do what you want. By the way, here's a crazy one. Um, Anton LaVey, who wrote the Satanic Bible, um, there's commandments in there. Number one command in the Satanic Bible is do what thou wilt, that shall be the whole of the law. Do what you want. Do what thou wilt, that's the whole of the law. Jesus says, the Shema in Deuteronomy 4, love the Lord, here's, here's the whole of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's It's outward. It's not love of self, it's love of you. It's love of, of my family, it's love of my community, it's love of sinners like me because there's a level plane. I can't judge you. You can't judge other people. You can't judge and, and be a finger pointer because that's all of us. We were all walking in this prior to this. I go counter. I don't want to do what I want to do because that's leading me nowhere. It says then that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, level plane, but God. Here we are at verse 4. But God, comma. Here's your situation, but God. Two weeks ago I told you the character of God, that he is morally right all the time, that he is completely loving. I don't know if anybody was rattled by the idea that I don't believe that God is love and justice. I believe he is love, and out of his love, he, has to, he, he responds in, judge, in judgment. He is, he is pure and holy and morally right all the time, but he does not have this side of him that goes, I'm going to get you, okay? He does not rejoice over the demise of sinners or his enemies. He grieves over that. He is love. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, you're a colossal screw-up. You're desperately in need of a savior. That's what the reality of evil shows me of myself. If I would simply take the time to assess Socrates, know thyself, right? Assess, what am I doing? What am I up to? Where am I going? Am I blind? I need a savior. I can't, I can't fix this situation in me. God, do something. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that 
listen to this, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Immeasurable. You can't count it. It's so huge. It's astronomical. It's, it's bigger than the cosmos. His love, his immeasurable love. Why? Because he's God and he stoops down to be disgraced by humanity because he loves you, because he loves me. His immeasurable grace that he showed to us while we were yet sinners. That's a reason for joy. I don't know if you've ever really, really screwed things up. Some of us have, have and I know, level plane. Some of us have done things that have a bigger ripple effect than others. Some of us feel the impact of, of really hurting somebody in a significant way. Some of you resonate with that. This was huge for me because I fall into that category. I was struck by the love of God when it was made clear to me that this person loved me anyway. That I was shown grace. That I was not cast off or done away with, but I was loved and I was brought back into the fold. And it gave me a glimpse of what the love of God was like because a Christian showed it to me. That's amazing. The immeasurable grace, the immeasurable love that has been shown to you, that has been poured out for you while you were yet sinners and dead in your trespasses. God died for us. He put himself on a cross for us. That's the hope. And intellectually, okay, that makes sense to me. Somebody has got to fix this and I can't. And somebody has got to fix it for all of us. Because I cannot pull myself up by my bootstraps. I cannot be good enough. I cannot be holy. Because only God is that. I need God. It shows my desperation for God. Now, we're going to end with this. It is hot in here, isn't it? You should be up here. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that you may not boast. Don't you dare take glory for yourself, which is what all of the other systems are trying to do. I will reach God. I will be good enough. I will crank this out. I will pull myself up by my bootstraps. But God will receive glory when people bow the knee and repent and say, I can't, but you can, and you have, and I am yours. God will save me. God intervenes. God loves. God shows his grace. For we are his workmanship. Last slide. Go there. So this is how I'd like to end. We are his workmanship, created for good works in Christ that he has prepared in advance for us to do. Powerful statement. It's how this text ends. We are his workmanship, his craftsmanship. And he has created you in mind for certain things. Your life has purpose. There's a point to it, okay? You're not just worm food when you die. There's a point to your young life. There's a point to my old life, all right? We're not done until we're in the grave. There's a point to represent God in this world. We are his workmanship created for good works. What are those good works? I, I wrestled with saying this, but I'm going to say it, and then I can go and Todd will come back. Okay, but we are his workmanship created for good works. I believe in, in, in the wrestling with that and in the finger pointing of evil that all of us do. Maybe, this is my maybe, quite possibly 
Maybe the greatest evil that exists in the world is that someone would have the antidote to save somebody and withhold it. That could be, possibly, in my mind, the greatest evil. That we as the church, as disciples, would know the love of God, the rescue of God, the salvation of God, and not share it. That quite possibly could be a greater evil than any terrorist attack. That, whoa, whoa, really, really, really? You're saying I'm worse than, I'm saying it's all of us on the same plane all the time. Then we get saved, and then we do this. Whereas workmanship, there's a purpose. There's a reason for your life, all right? There's joy in the process. I said this two weeks ago. You are a community that I love. I love this place. Um, You represent God beautifully, but it has to be all of us. You run in different circles. You have different families. You have different friends. You have different jobs. You go to different schools, and it is your joy to share the love of God with people, to point them to Christ and speak the gospel. How does that happen? Here's how it happens. Simply have conversations. Don't be all manipulative. Don't be conniving. You don't have to try and one-up people. You don't have to pretend like you have it all together. I met with these people last night. We had them over for a barbecue and stuff. And I said, you know what I'd like this year to be marked by? Honesty and humility. That's what I want from my seniors. I want honesty and I want humility. Because you're not better than other people. You're just not. And so when we do the wrong thing, we confess. We come clean, humbly, all right? But the second we come off better than other people, we become the villain, and we separate people. So we're simply called. This is what the disciples did. They had conversations with people. They talked, and they had question and answer time, and and they just did God talks at the coffee shops and restaurants and in their backyard and their front yard and the pubs, they did that. They had conversations. And you're called into that as well. And I'm called into that. Young and old, all of us. Okay, young people, that's you too. Talk about the Lord. Talk about Jesus. Ask questions. And then we arrive at this place where the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit starts to awaken us and reveal himself to us. And we see our need for a Savior. We get on our knees and God does remarkable things and gives us the gift of faith and opens us up to his mercy. It's awesome. There's a lot of questions still. There's a lot of questions. I've still got a lot of questions. Um, And so do you. That's why we have community, to be able to unpack it together. All right? It is your joy and your hope to be disciples and to share the love of God with people. Band, why don't you come up? I'm going to pray. Father, we place ourselves into your hands. Um, You tell us it is not by might. It is not by power. Power of horses or chariots. It's not by the power of the mind even. Um, But it is by your grace, by your power, that you do your work. And so we ask for that power in the name of Jesus. We ask for power in this place. To set captives free from the brokenness of our sin, for us to see our sin, to be sick of our sin, and to want you instead, Jesus. And so we ask, God, that you would do a good work in this community, that more and more conversations would be had with friends and family and coworkers and 
fellow students, Lord, about you, and that we would be humble, and that we'd be honest, even with our own questions and struggles, Lord, and that by your grace, truth would be revealed, because Jesus, you said you're the truth, and so if we go for you, you're going to reveal that, so reveal your truth to us, God, that we would display it, and live it, and show it in every aspect, God. We love you, and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.